Welcome back to the Bibliotheques podcast, everyone. Cody and myself have a very special episode for you today. We are going to be discussing Death on the Nile, the book, as well as the 2022 movie adaptation with our special guest, my brother-in-law, Johnny. Welcome in, sir. How you doing? What's up, you guys? Thanks for having me. Longtime listener from the jump with Lord of the Rings. Happy to be here. So happy you could come on. I, <laughs> I'm like slightly scared whenever anybody tells me that like, oh yeah, I've been listening since the Lord of the Rings episodes because I mean, I haven't gone back and listened to them, but I'm, I'm slightly frightened. So I'm just hoping that they hold up okay, but I'm scared to see. True masterpiece withstands the test of time. And I think that's what we have here. It's <laughs> so good to hear. We'll see. As I said, today we're talking the Death on the Nile movie as well as the book. And I I just want to kind of get a little bit of an understanding because Johnny was really the person that kind of put me on to Agatha Christie. I don't remember the exact conversation or the context of this, but it was something along the line. Like, have you ever read any Agatha Christie, any murder mystery? I hadn't. And I think at the time you were reading Death on the Nile, maybe... But Johnny, did you read this book? First of all, was this the first Agatha Christie book that you read? And did you read this before you had seen the movie? So I would start by saying first, I'm far from an in-house Agatha Christie scholar, unlike your mom as a Tolkien scholar and my wonderful wife as a Jane Austen scholar. But I do love a good (laughs) mystery. I've read a couple of Agatha Christie books. I started with Murder on the Orient Express and watched that movie and then just recently read and watched Death on the Nile. I did read it first, um, but I grew up starting to like mystery as any millennial would watching Scooby-Doo. And uh, that brought me here to Agatha Christie and Knives Out. And that's where I am now. I love that. And you know, what's so funny is like, I feel like, so I'm on Goodreads and of like the few people that I actually follow, Johnny, you're one of them. <laughs> and I just, Let's I go. feel like, yeah, every time that I'm on that app, it's like, oh, Johnny finished a book last week. Johnny finished a book last week. Like, it seems like you're cruising through stuff at just an insane pace. So, like, outside of mystery, what have you been kind of like getting into recently? Is there anything that like, you just loved maybe last year or as recently as uh, so far in 2023? Well, so first, uh, it's funny you say that because before a few years ago, really before the pandemic, I was not much of a reader. And then 2020 hits and I'm bored out of my mind and I can't just watch Tiger King and The Last Dance all day, every day. (laughs) So I got into reading. I started actually, I think, Early on in my reading career was going through the Lord of the Rings and I just whipped through those pretty quickly. And then I've just kind of been exploring some different genres here and there. Since we're talking mystery, a modern mystery writer that I've really liked is Lucy Foley. Hmm. Read a couple of her books last year. But I like to spice it up with, you know, trying to read different genres. I always try and have some fiction and some nonfiction going on at the same time. Uh, I like to do something regarding the faith as much as I can as my nonfiction and then splash around with different genres. 
Love that. So the uh, the agenda today is super loose. We're just going to kind of shoot shit about the movie and the book in general. We've got some kind of broad discussion questions that hopefully take us all over the place. But before we do that, so just some info on this movie. So this came out in February of 2022. It was directed by Kenneth Branagh. Screenplay was Michael Green, who also did Logan, Blade Runner 2049, and the uh, the first of this series, I guess, Murder on the Orient Express. Weird that Ridley Scott was one of the producers on this. I don't know if either of you guys were like <laughs> seeing any like kind of signature Ridley that, Scott stuff that, throughout that this movie. That reads like but... <laughs> Friends with Kenneth Branagh to me. Where he's like, oh yeah, he, he's, exactly. he's, he's like Kenneth is like, hey Ridley, like I'm doing like this big, big name like book movie, and I'm sure like Murder on the Orient Express just killed at the box office, and he's like, hey, you want to like you know throw some bones at this movie, and we can we'll get you a producer credit, and it'll be great. That that's what it reads to me because it is, does not strike me as like a real Ridley Scott movie. Like Brana's fingerprints are all over this. Obviously, he's like starring in it and directing in it. And we'll get into that later. But it really just reads like this was like a big budget production and he needed like more big names to kind of add some heft to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, Cody, you mentioned that it's big budget. So this movie had a budget of around 90 million. It took home one hundred and thirty seven million globally at the box office, which in 2022 came in 34th among movies but like hey death on the nile don't beat yourself up too much because the way of water came out this year yeah <laughs> and like 2 billion dollars at the box office so so yeah, you're it's really all swimming good. upstream with this one yeah <laughs> one of my favorites you guys we're doing the rotten tomatoes guess so if you already know the score we can skip this but johnny have you looked at the rotten tomatoes score for this movie i think i did before we watched it but um i don't really remember because that was a little while ago i would guess it's around 60 60 okay this yeah and crit- this is critics yeah score, uh, i'd say I'd, I'd i'd be more cynical i'd say 50 i haven't seen it okay all right, so the critic rating is 62% on this movie. Ooh. Audience actually liked it a little bit better, 82%. So a oh, little a bit of a, you know, the critics consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says old-fashioned to a fault, the solidly entertaining Death on the Nile is enlivened by its all-star cast and director star Kenneth Branagh's obvious affection for the material. I... I love the way that Rotten Tomatoes breaks it down like that because to me, like that kind of sums up what this movie is. Yeah, I think it's definitely like if 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 Kenneth Branagh isn't willing to ham it up and really kind of lean all into the Hercule Poirot of it all, then the movie really doesn't work. So as Cody just said, starring Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot, Lynette is played by Gal Gadot. Uh, Simon is Army Hammer. Yikes. Uh, Jackie is Emma Mackey. And then a whole host of other characters. I, I guess the my, my first question, Johnny, and this is just kind of a layup one for you, is did the movie live up to your expectations having just read the book? So honestly, I was a little disappointed with the movie. Um, 
as you guys did, I read the first couple chapters of this book and was just drowning in the number of characters. And I'm just thinking <laughs> from the beginning of the book, like, wow, this is going to be so much easier to take in as a movie because I'll be able to see everyone. It, they'll be introduced in a way that really shows their background more than just like a couple paragraphs. Um, Cause we got like 12 characters in the first 15 pages of the book, but with the changes the movie made and not just like character changes, but also like who they are and their backgrounds, I found myself leaving the movie appreciating the book more, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, I think that makes total sense to me. Yeah, so so a couple things. I, Johnny, I think you're spot on with that. One issue that I had is that because I had so much affection for the book, it was so kind of like, startling because we'll start off with the movie i think this is a good time to just jump into like different things we liked and disliked about the movie the biggest thing with these podcasts is like i always find changes very obvious having just read them in like a very academic way so with the characters not only are like there's like maybe a third of as many characters in this book or in the movie as opposed to the book and then not only that but there's like combinations like so we're introduced to someone named book who is like a Johnny, correct me if I'm wrong. Perhaps, you know, I think he's a previous character from other uh, Agatha Christie books. And he's like a combination of like four people from the book. Yeah. And on top of, of book, like they do that with, with several characters. And I, I, Johnny, your point about like, this is something that I think we talk about a lot when we do these movie podcasts is like, okay, we're fine with movies making changes from books and looking at them as like independent versions of the same story. I'm good with that. I But the, the question I always ask is like, is this change really supporting or like making the movie better, like a better version of this story or at least adapting it in a way that it works the best for the medium that it is being screen and not in a book. And to me, what it almost felt like was like Brana or Michael Green, the screenwriter just decided at some point, Johnny, that what you were saying about like the confusion with the amount of characters was something that they wanted to just completely avoid in the movie where they were like, we don't need to confuse people with the number of characters and the different like subplots. Like the Ricchetti character isn't even in the movie. And so it, it, was, it almost felt like a conscious choice to try and simplify things for the reader. And it, in my opinion, kind of backfired on them in certain ways. Yeah, I would definitely say it backfired because like... You know, we're about a third of the way mo through the movie. I had just watched, read the book and Claire had not. And she was like, uh, yeah, I think Simon and Jackie teamed up and, and killed Lynette. And like, she just knew that so early on. And then I would try and keep, you know, saying like, oh, what do you think now? And she's like, no, it's still them. Um, so like in making the changes and making the them have fewer characters i think I, I i saw that it just made it more obvious what the end result would be 
the book was so masterful in that the first five or six chapters, it's like, oh yeah, obviously Jackie's the killer here. She's crazy. But then they just throw 18 other characters with backstories and potential motives at you and you're confused. And then you come back and it's like, oh yeah, actually, yeah, that makes sense that Jackie did it. But the movie, it doesn't give enough character development to other people. So it's just like, yeah, it must be Simon and Jackie because we hear like a few words from a few, some of these people and some people have no motive. So I think that when it comes to decreasing the characters, like the movie did, um, I think what's lost is a lot of the question of who did it. I completely agree with you, Johnny. I had, so first of all, I was watching it with somebody who had not listened to the podcast, had not read the book, nothing. Same story. It was like, immediate (laughs) he's like oh simon did it he's clearly covering something on his leg right now like that is it they i feel like they kind of just made a mess of that and i agree that part of what makes it so confusing in the book is just the volume of characters i think what that made me start to think about though is like does that make it a good mystery if it's just like i'm gonna throw a million characters at my reader so that it's just pure distraction because like what is agatha christie trying to do here do you know what i mean like there's Mm -hmm. just so much going on it's like wouldn't a better mystery be something where you have five people and it really isn't clear like what what happened I think it just depends, you know, I mean, because she kind of just gave you all the answers and like forced you to not trust yourself, basically. Like she she has she's like spammed you with a bunch of like random side people who have like decent motives. But they but even Poirot in the book keeps saying like it's not enough. This is not enough to like commit multiple murders. Right. He keeps saying that to you and you're like, okay, well. The two people who benefit most tangibly from this are the two most obvious ones. But like in the book, their alibis are so good. Yeah. That like you can't be like, well, there's like actually physically no way that the timeline adds up. Well, yeah. And then also in the movie, they just have Simon like walking around a lot. Like I was just kind of confused, confused by like in the book, they make it very clear that this guy is just bedridden after being shot. And He's I got think, a 1930s gunshot wound. I mean, that guy's not going anywhere. Right, right. I just, like, I. there's something about the way that they framed that whole thing where I was just wondering, like, had if I had never read this book, if I didn't know what this was about, would this be as easy as it feels like it would be to kind of tell? I don't know. Other people that I've asked have haven't gotten it, so... Maybe it's fine, but I was just kind of like after reading the book, there's just there's not like Johnny, you said, there's just not the same amount of misdirection. So I guess my question for you, Johnny, outside of like what, you know, Agatha Christie is trying to do, do you think that the story itself take the mystery side of it out? Do you think the changes that they made to certain characters, the addition of certain characters, Wendell Sham, for example, the subtraction of Ricchetti and his whole thing, do you think that that makes for a better story 
or a worse story and and why well it's funny because if you had asked me that before i watched the movie i would be a hundred percent yeah let's get some of these characters out of here because they're useless um and but then after having watched the movie i'm like wanting more i'm like i only got some character development from two or three characters here um and the character like one of those was Poirot and his character development was just weird starting with this war scene I legitimately like had to pause five minutes in I'm like did I click the wrong movie like what is this war scene (laughs) so I don't know I think it's kind of a mixed bag here and I think that they're both could have been better yeah, I I literally like the very first note I have is just like World War One question mark like what are we doing here and I like I feel like this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves but like Johnny you you submitted a pretty interesting question about like I'll I'll let you I'll ask them and maybe Paul can frame them better but like is Poirot actually good at his job <laughs> and I think like this opening scene is supposed to reiterate that Poirot has like a lot of there's like his genius is a little bit of a double-edged sword where like he's got great ideas so basically for those of you who are listening to the podcast and didn't watch the movie one what are you doing just it's on hbo it's on hulu go watch it um but poirot is like a private in world war one and his captain's like sorry guys we got a classic world war one order which is that we got to go over this uh trench and we're just gonna get shot and Poirot basically sniffs out the wind and he's like, well, if we go now, we can mask ourselves with smoke and we're going to catch him by surprise. And his captain's like, damn, Poirot, that's a great idea. So they do it. They take this bridge. But then there's a tripwire that Poirot didn't foresee and it blows up his captain and like scars his face. And that's why he has an enormous mustache is to cover up that. And so later on in the story, we kind of learned that like, Poirot may be a genius, but he still fails a lot. Like his way of thinking and like making sure that everything is thought out methodically can sometimes lead to other people's downfall. Yeah. So I, I think however, to, in the moment it's very like, what? Right. So so Johnny's Johnny's original question is like, is he a good detective? I <laughs> I think yes. The the answer has gotta be yes, because like he's able to put so many different pieces together he's like hyper observant to the point where like the movie even notes that he's like ocd basically Mm -hmm. like it's it's more than just like a talent it's like a condition of his you know um so i would say for the most part yes but kind of similar to what cody's saying maybe and johnny i don't know how you feel about this but like one of my complaints was Poirot, like, when are you going to start telling people what you're thinking? And like, when does it become the detective's job to start saying Mm -hmm. to people like, hey, maybe go in your room and don't come out like there's a murderer running around killing people? Yeah. And so I think to, to start my thought here, I'm looking at the definition of a detective and it's a person whose occupation is to investigate and solve crimes. If you go by that, then. Yeah, he's a great detective. He solved Mm -hmm. the crimes. But I think that's an inadequate definition because it's not just about solving the crime. It's about maybe preventing more crimes. Like, especially, Mm -hmm. I think, in both the book and the movie, when it comes to the third death, 
which is different in the book and the movie. But when it comes to the third death, we as the audience slash readers are supposed to believe he has it totally figured out. And he's sitting next to Simon, who is one of the killers. And it's like, dude, if you know, then stop it from happening. Mm -hmm. Well, this is I mean, yeah, that's what Cody and I were saying that just our last episode where it's like, even if you just kind of like ignore the two murders that happen after the Lynette murder, Poro is also just cool with Jackie having a gun still like in her ankle, like in her sock basically. And then is like, Oh yeah, I totally kind of, I was predicting that she would just murder suicide herself and Simon. Johnny, you nailed it. I call this the race dilemma, the races dilemma in, in a philosophical term where you need Poirot because he's such a good detective, but you have another question, which is, is he a good person? Which is like, no, because he clearly doesn't prioritize the safety of others above his own genius. Yeah, he's willing to be like, you know, it's okay if a couple more people die as long as I get my sick monologue at the end. That's right. (laughs) Well, and I think that the, in my opinion, the movie and the book, they're trying to do different things to different, uh, at different degrees. Like, The movie the entire time is trying to thread this like needle throughout the entire movie of like, not only is this about a murder, but this is a love story. And it is a love story between Missile Book and uh, Rosalie, which is made up in the movie. It's also a love story about Simon, Lynette and Jackie. But most importantly, I think they try to make it a love story about Poirot overcoming some kind of like trauma in his past and moving on to the still surviving Mrs. Otterborn character. So I bring that so up. Weird. I bring that up because love as a motive is a theme throughout the book. It seems far more prominent in the movie. And it's that theme that is like trying to humanize Poirot, unrobotify him so much in the movie to the extent where you can start like asking some more of these questions like why would you let more people die? When in the book, like I was thinking about that, but it's less of a question than when it's you're looking at like this guy going through his own shit. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Right. And like in the book, if Poro's the guy with all the answers, then that means that subsequent deaths are then his fault for not sharing more information with others. But in the movie, if he's like an imperfect but still genius guy, they're more forgivable. If he's if he is struggling to solve the case, but then ends up doing it, it's he's far less culpable for the remaining deaths that aren't Lynette's. Johnny, what were your thoughts? So I, I want to hear what you think about Kenneth Branagh's um, in interpretation of this character just in general but i'd like to start with hearing about the choice to i would say paint Hercule in a far more arrogant light than i think is allowed in the book there's this conversation you know in the movie where he is all he is basically confronted for like being this arrogant kind of pompous flamboyant guy that never happens in the book but i'm 
I'm curious whether you think Kenneth Branagh did a good job, bad job, or if it's less of what he's doing and more of how the character's written. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, going back to what Cody said, and then I'll go to your question, Paul. Like, yeah. I think a little bit of what's going on with the character of Poirot in the movie is like this thing that they're kind of taking from all the Disney villain movies of like, let's give him a backstory. Let's throw a little trauma in there and let's like just make him a little more lovable of a character or at least like quote unquote interesting because he's gone through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas <laughs> I world war one notably, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Some> stuff. <laughs> yeah. Little stuff here and there, but um, <laughs> like, I think some of that is unnecessary. Like I, I think we can't, we can just live with him being a genius that's totally cool with me. Now, having said that, I think staying true to the book, although he's not confronted for being arrogant and prideful in the book, I do kind of feel like that would be realistic based on him in the book because he's a genius. He's like, I know everything. I mean, I'm reading this book like, and it would suck to go on vacation with this guy because he's just like <laughs> analyzing everything. Oh, dude, um, yeah. And so I think that those couple scenes where people call him out for that in the movie are spot on. And I like that. Johnny, can you imagine going on a cruise with your wife and you're just trying to like have dinner and then, but like you hear that like on the cruise with you is like the world's greatest private eye. And while you're trying to like have dinner and like maybe like a glass of wine or something, he's like at the table next to you, just like watching you guys. You're not involved in any crimes. And you're just like trying to like talk about your day. And he's just like, mm, like writing in a notepad. You're like, Hey man, <laughs> you fuck off. Totally. I'd be like second guessing myself. Like, wait, did I murder someone earlier today? Like, I, I, I hope not. <laughs> it almost sounds like, yeah, like, like that's how people talk to him. They're like, just so you know, I didn't do any crimes. He's like, interesting that you would like present that information to me. And they're like, well, now I'm going to leave because there's no winning talking to you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So overall, I I mean, I'm going to like pretty much anything Kenneth Branagh does. I think my overall kind of view of this character is a little bit different than the way that they went about it in the movies uh, or in the movie. But Kenneth Branagh is great. The only complaint I have is like there were times where I really wish I had subtitles on. Because like his accent, he's so committed to it that sometimes I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what was that? Especially when he's like kind of like thinking out loud and maybe mumbles to himself. And he's like, what we don't understand is uh, that you can do the door. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, speak up, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So overall, Johnny, you were happy, though, with the uh, with Hercule. The character as a whole, like I said, I, I didn't really like the Disney villainization backstory stuff that was unnecessary. But I think his portrayal of the character was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree. What are you, what were your thoughts on? We can take these three at the same time, the Lynette, Simon and Jackie. Uh, Let's start from their introductions because we meet them all at the same place in the book. It's the restaurant that Poro initially Mm -hmm. see simon and jackie in the movie they're just like you know what fuck it we're short on time let's get lynette in there and just speed things along here so introductions to those three 
as well as the Otterborns, who are just turned into like a band. But sticking with the with the love triangle here, first impressions, Gal Gadot, Emma Mackey, and Army Hammer as our three main people. Way too horny. Way too horny. Way too horny. <laughs> Lily texted Paul 10 minutes in the movie. Movie's way too horny. Never got it like it got worse too later. And so Jackie and um, Simon are just getting like weird on the dance floor. <laughs> like 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 for the time period and for now like if you're at like a wedding or something or even just like a bar where there's dancing and you saw what they were doing everyone would be looking around like yo <laughs> someone like spray these two it's too hot in here <laughs> yeah yeah johnny what what were your thoughts on that that opening sequence couldn't agree more like it's it's way over the top. Like I understand that sex sells. I get it, but like chill out. That's too much. Um, and it's also just such a hugely stark contrast from the book where, Oh yeah. If I'm not mistaken, they're not even sleeping in the same room when they're married. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some line in here where it's just like, Oh yeah, we've, uh, had sex twice today wait no three times it's like Dude, what <laughs> okay so so there's their day i think that so here's one thing that's like i was like it was so horny and shocking and like distracting that i was like what is the director thinking and then i remembered brana directed it and i was like my guy what is this are you just trying to like overcommit to the fact that they're like crazy head over heels for each other which like if that's the case, there are other ways to go about this. Yeah, the, these couple scenes that we feel this way about, it's kind of like some middle school boys directed it, and it's like, mm-hmm. that's what grown-ups do. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the moment when Lynette is introduced to Simon, too, and it's like, oh, let me... Let me go dance with my new land agent. And she just goes and like sits on his face on the dance floor. It's like, wait, wait a minute. What? You guys just met and she's your boss. What? What's going on it's crazy. here? And then the other one that's just insane is when they're in Egypt, Lynette and Simon have already been married. This is like the big honeymoon where for some reason, like now the motivation for everyone being there is no longer chance. It's like we invited all these people here, which immediately deletes any motive for like three of them right but simon and lynette are like in some temple like hiding behind like an obelisk or whatever yeah and and army hammer who you know wolf being in this movie (laughs) is like him and gal gadot are like just straight up rubbing fronts and butts in like in like the temple of osiris or some shit it is. I am not even like joking. I am. That is literally what happens on screen in this movie. And it was so bad that like my girlfriend walked in the room while the scene was happening. And I felt like I was like doing something bad. I'm like, it's not what it looks like. Okay. Back to back to like how each of these characters are portrayed. So I actually army hammer you know, all of his baggage. I actually think that he's a decent actor. Emma Mackey, she can hold her own. I felt 
Um, mm-hmm. the Jackie character, she's holding her own in scenes with Poro, uh, with Kenneth Branagh. Gal Gadot, um, she came so close to having a good scene in this movie. It was like two seconds away, and then it just kind of like slipped out of her fingers. I okay, okay. I have a note that this movie got so much better when she got killed off. It was no longer like speaking dialogue. Yes, definitely. Okay, so so the, that's my overall feeling on all of them. But back to like the horniness and outside of it just being a joke one of the things that i was thinking about watching it was like in the book jackie at least what poirot thinks is jackie has genuine love for simon and what the the pace of the beginning of this movie and the horniness that comes with it i feel like kind of distracts from what that should have been and we are left with more of a lustful uh, theme, at least out of those three, than anything that's real love. And mm-hmm. what I guess, first of all, do you guys agree with that take? And and I have a follow up to that. So let's start there. That like, does it being a lustful rather than loving relationship cheapen the motive? to end up killing Lynette. I think that definitely there, there's a huge decrease in love and increase in lust in the movie. That is for sure. Because like part of the reason that the book ends up being so good is it's like, wow, Jackie is and was crazy, but she also pulled off like kind of a mastermind plot here in like this distraction and having the rock solid alibis. And in the movie, that that just seems less likely because of the over the top. Like, there's not real love. That's the foundation here. It's like she's just lustful and crazy. Like, would she have been able to really pull that off? Probably not. I don't buy that. I think there's also the movie in its like acceleration of the plot doesn't allow you enough time to speak with Jackie. Like, she has one conversation with you know, Poirot before they get on the boat and in the book, they have like five Mm -hmm. where you really understand how like hurt this person is and how like, you know, how much she genuinely loved him and, and how much like she resents Lynette for like taking away the one thing that she wanted when she already has everything. You really lose that in the movie in such an accelerated plot. I think that the, the thing that was that I was kind of wrestling with was like, similar Johnny to what you were saying, although I kind of thought about it in the opposite way, almost where like Jackie plays an incredibly crazy person throughout the entire movie, like, and a crazy person to me, maybe not capable of coming up with this crazy plot, but is far more likely to commit this type of crime. So that part made a little bit more sense to me. I was just, and this is the part that I really was like struggling with before watching the movie. Okay, so what would Simon have to ask Jackie to do before she said no to him? Like, I understand that what we're going for here is that this woman is so devoted to this guy that she would kill her, you know, old best friend because he wanted to get rich and because she was like stealing him away. But like, damn dude, 
what like what wouldn't you do like did that did that all kind of fit in your you know you finish the book is it all are all those pieces coming together for you or were you like me where you're just kind of like wait really really so uh, what what you're saying kind of makes it sound like simon is the mastermind here i kind of took it as jackie is the mastermind oh no she definitely is yeah okay yeah, well, I think I think what you're trying to get to, Paul, is that the, that the that the movie doesn't do a good enough job of like explaining like like this girl is like she was in love, but she is also crazy in the in the movie. She's just crazy. Like in the in the in the book, she's like, I'm very in love and also crazy enough to like throw away my future to like basically like scam this woman, kill her and then run away with my perfect husband who I will turn into a murderer for this plot. Like there's like a balance of it in the movie. She's just nuts right yeah i so johnny sorry let me let me try and clarify if we're just talking like the book by itself right so don't even think about the movie at all i got to the to the end of it and was like okay so and correct me where i'm wrong here where things go astray right jackie introduces lynette and simon to get him this job Lynette immediately falls for him and wants to take him from Jackie. Simon initially doesn't want to do this, but he ends up seeing how it could benefit him down the road by Lynette dying very soon after they get married. And so it's at that point that Jackie is like, you know what? I'm going to help you with this. Like to me, it just felt like, Jackie, your guy doesn't want to be with this woman. Why can't we like figure out a way around murdering her? Because like part of what I was just confused about is like Jackie came up with this entire plot and was pissed still that like Lynette stole her fiance. Like, no, she stole your fiance because you allowed that to happen. Yeah. So I I see it as like, I think she is just absolutely enraged by Lynette's just audacity to be like, Oh, this dude's hot. I'm going to take him. I don't care if my best friend is engaged to him. And I think that fury that comes from that leads to everything else leads to the plotting. And is like, I am so angry that my good friend who already has everything would steal this person who like I would, I just said is the most important thing in my life. I think that fury just drives her. For the rest of the, and I think that like it is a legit anger when she's talking to Poirot before they got on the boat. Even though the plan is in progress, the anger is like she's not faking any of it, and it's all be. It's not necessarily that she stole him; it's that she would want to, and that like enraged her so much that it's like I'm going to do anything to make her pay the price for this for wanting my fiance. I I think it's also uh, Johnny. I'm on the same. I'm on the exact same page as you. I think Paul and I had a pretty similar conversation in the last yeah. um, book chapter. But there's also like the like even if she's like even if like she didn't actually steal him, like Lynette is like a looming threat at all times. And Jackie's probably thinking like it's not a matter of if but when this happens. So like maybe get ahead of it and take her out and you know brainwash my like dumb as rocks husband or fiance to like go with, through with it with me. 
Yeah, I'm I'm also trying to think through this using the brain of a non-murdering person. So, mm. you know, at some point it's just kind of like, why are you asking this question over and over exactly. again? Like, it's, there's no point. Okay, so Lynette, Simon, Jackie, yeah, Gal Gadot, not great. Army Hammer, okay. Emma Mackey, I thought was really good. Tom Bateman <laughs> plays the role of Book. Now, this Book guy flying kites on the pyramids has you know he's replacing the tim allerton role in a certain respect because he is uh like the mama's boy character he is the love interest of rosalie otterborn and that is established really early actually in the movie mm-hmm. yeah. um and used more as like a an odd kind of like plot he's, sidestep he's for- He's four people. So he's the Tim Allerton with the mom, but he's a non-threatening Tim Allerton. Mm-hmm. He still ends up being like the sticky fingers thief plot. He's he's also his own guy book. And then he's also Colonel Race, where he's Captain Exposition for Poirot. Because like he is basically like for some reason, like Poirot likes him and they're pals from before. So when the murders happen, Book is like his right hand guy to be like, wait a minute. If that happened, then how can this happen? Which, like, you know, T-Ball sets up a perfect, like, Poirot is like, but they did not miss your book, mon ami. No, it was actually this. And then, you know, new clue is found. And then he's also the, in the books, Otterborn mom, where he, in his, conf- like, being confronted about stealing the necklace, reveals that he's the one that saw the exchange of money with Luis. And then he is then murdered. As a result of that, by Jackie. Yeah. So, so four people. So, Johnny, thoughts on this character, the combination of different roles from people in the book? How, how do we land on Missio Book? Well, again, I think I have mixed feelings here. So, we got rid of Tim Allerton, who, in my opinion, sucked in the book. Um, <laughs> he, he, like, throughout the book, he was just kind of like a I'm going back to this, but like a middle school boy and that like he was a mama's boy, but also like every time his mom said something, he's like, no, why would you say that? (laughs) Um, So we got rid of him. Great. Happy about it. We also got rid of Colonel Race, who was just a point of confusion throughout the book. It's like, wait, we're trying to solve something else that we don't have all the pieces. Like, why are we doing this? And I get he's part of the mystery saga and he was in one of the or a couple of the 37 books that we got going on here Mm -hmm. Um, but like for somebody who's read one or two of these it's like I I don't need that confusion so got rid of those two guys great happy about it the book character though like starting with the height on the pyramids and he like just starts off being reckless being on the pyramids yet he's also like buddies with Poirot is like uh, I don't really get how, how these guys are friends and he ends up being one of the like guys who's stealing stuff. So like we got rid of some guys I didn't like, but we also added somebody I didn't like. So I, I, I don't know if, if this was overall an addition or just like a eh, whatever. This is totally beside the point. But when Poirot's in Egypt, why is he eating like eggs and cake in the sun? <laughs> Fair question, Cody. Yeah, I don't did. know. Johnny, I completely agree with you on on the book character. I I felt and I didn't feel this way reading the book, but I felt like with this movie, a little bit like I hadn't watched any Marvel movie 
ever and then just decided to jump in on like Thor Ragnarok. And I'm yeah. like, wait, who the fuck is like who? What's this guy on this like rainbow bridge or, or what? Like what's going on yeah. here? So I felt a little bit like that. I also felt so the actor that plays uh book Tom Bateman I thought he did a fine job the the thing that I just don't love about this and I think part of it is it's like they tried to make the love story between him and Rosa, like Rosalie a big deal but in a lazy way where they didn't spend enough time devoted to it to make me give a shit this movie's under 2 hours they don't have any time to like beat around the bush i just had yeah paul similar to you i had no buy into that love story and it's like paul rose like pointing out like you know the mother hired him to like do these things and it's like okay that gives a reason for you being there because you being on vacation didn't really make a lot of sense because you're clearly mm-hmm. still detecting so right. like good, good idea but we didn't get enough backstory for us to care about this love story whatsoever and it went nowhere because the guy dies. So it's like, why do we do all that? We we have such a limited time, like you said, Cody. So why are we wasting? You're super right, because as soon as it was revealed that he got hired there, I thought the same thing, Johnny, where I'm like, that actually makes way more sense. Why he's like in Egypt at the same time as a super famous person and not just on vacation. But then like, you know, like it's not like anything even gets resolved because his like mom is like, I hired him to like uncover things about your family. And he's like, they're great. No notes. <laughs> and, his, and, his, and the mom's still like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> no, you can't marry her. Yeah. Keep the $100,000 I paid you, but I disagree. Right. So Book's mom kind of disappears a little bit. We have that one shot of her like kind of coming to the realization that her son is dead. And that's like semi moving but again does i don't i just don't feel like i have enough investment in this character to really care all that much at that point another weird one was like the van schuyler and maid bowers thing where it's like hey you guys i heard that you know you might have something against lynette because she screwed over you know your family in business or something like that and it's like no, actually, we're lovers. <laughs> like, wait, wh- wait, what? <laughs> and yeah, and they're like, and and they made um her like the communist character. So they're like, don't you want the money? And she's like, one, that's my goddaughter. Like, why would I kill my goddaughter? Also, I already gave away my fortune. I clearly don't like money. And Poirot's like, oh, you are correct. New plan. <laughs> like, it's like. The 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 the, the kind of combining of characters and making sure everyone was invited, like I said earlier, it just like removed any motive for like half of the people there, and the other half are like uh, Simon and Jackie. So I was like, well, I guess it was them, right? So the couple other ones. Firstly, Johnny, I just want to hear like you're reading this book, and we <laughs> discover that Miss Van Schuyler is a klepto. <laughs> As you're reading this, like. How is that? How are you reacting to that in real time? Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, the old lady who's already rich wants to steal stuff. That's hilarious. Like, she had to have some reason for being on this ship. Why not make her a theft? Like, I love it. Yeah. 
it's so perfect. But they, I feel like the Van Skyler character is just kind of minimized in the movie. Another character, and Cody and I were really tracking this guy throughout the book, was the Andrew Pennington character. And they gave Andrew a different last name in this, uh, in the movie. He is, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, but they, they give him a different last name. I just thought that like, in the book, the way that they establish characters early on with different reasons for going to Egypt, mysterious letters, and very like well-established relationships in some cases to Lynette. This is one, the Andrew character in particular, they just didn't give him anything to really do. It was like, okay, we can rule him out real quick. And like he folds about knocking like, you know, a rock over, but like it it just that character just felt kind of useless to me in this story. Yeah, I mean in the book he's like from a lot of it he's suspect number 1. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he like has this big time motive and like he possibly try like he did try to kill her. And so it's like this is a huge character that we need to pay attention to. Also, it's Uncle Andrew. Don't make him the same age. Um, <laughs> yeah, she like, started yeah. calling him cousin, I think, in this. Right. Yeah. yeah. We got cousin Andrew here. And like that, I, I, I just took a, away a lot of the mystique because I kind of imagined Pennington in the book as like somebody who looked kind of like the, the guy from Monopoly. But like a shady business character. So true. Who who is like, you know, down bad off a couple things on Wall Street. So he's like, oh, no, she can't get married now. I have to go do something about this. Whereas in in the movie, it's just like, yeah, this guy's a cousin. He he seems a little sketchy, but like, eh, that's all. But like, like, yeah, like in the book, it's like he's like contrapting this like harebrained reason for being in Egypt at the same time as her. And in the movie, it's like. Yeah, and that's like half the motive in itself. It's like, why the fuck are you here, dude? He's like, oh yeah, I got near to sign these like loose papers, and you're like, why? But in the in the movie, she's like, I invited him. He's like, I came here because it's my job. You have papers to sign. You got married, and you're like, okay, great. This guy didn't do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, why is he here? It's just a re- yeah, like it right. really so Cody, and it's like it's like yeah, he like just. We're just supposed to believe he randomly showed up. Oh, by the way, he has papers you need to sign. All, now all it's like it, all it took was like instead of that is like and also joining us is like it doesn't matter. I, I would prefer it to be Uncle Andrew, but if it's like cousin Andrew because they wanted to cast this guy, like and like he's like he is here in Egypt too. Isn't that crazy? And everyone's like, yeah, isn't that crazy? And then he's like, it like, keeps trying to like, hey, they just so you know, we should totally like have a meeting just one on one and like maybe keeps pestering it. Just like one scene like that. And all of a sudden, that motive is right there. But no, he's like, eh, you know, I'm in Egypt. Who cares? What's up? Congrats. Can you sign this when you get a chance? That'd be huge. Pennington, that's that's one thing. We also, you know, Russell Brand is in there as like a somewhat uh, like I just feel like it, it's just exactly what you were saying at the at the top. Maybe Johnny was it's just like I'm missing a little bit of the mystique around some of these characters a little bit more of that background to make them believable and i didn't feel like i really ever got the big like false reveal in this movie where it's just like oh so he did it like nope later you're gonna find out that they didn't do it right so 
you know, Russell Brand playing Dr. Windlesham in this felt like that a lot. Mrs. Otterborn was another one where it's like, okay, so the role that she's playing in this movie essentially serves to just be like, Poro, you can open up to people again. Like, why are you such a douche? <clears throat> like, that seems like kind of all she was there for. Rosalie felt more like an object than anything like really substantial. She was the object of books affection. So like I I think my my takeaway on this is having read the book first, it just felt like there were the reduction in characters could have allowed for a little bit deeper character development of each of them and rather than doing that, they just remained really shallow. Like almost I, universally. Well, I think like one thing that is a discredit to the actual murder mystery is like we don't we almost don't even need more character development. We just need more motive development right. for the smoke screen. Like even it, and then through the motive, that's where you get the character right. Like character work just for character's sake is like, all right, book and Rosalie are in love. Cool. Does that help us? Not really. But like even when Poirot is like being really like accusatory of book you're still like well he just wanted the necklace mm-hmm. like that's it like you right. could've, they could have developed those the heck out of those characters and it wouldn't have mattered at all so you're totally right cody like it's all about motive development and we didn't really get that especially from uh pennington which we need that and a few other people um we needed something we didn't get it yeah i i will say this is kind of jumping towards the plot so once we get the characters out of the way, the actual events of the story are pretty similar. Um, like subbing book for um, Mrs. Otterborn in the like I saw who paid off wrote, uh, or Louise. And so like other than like that, the events are pretty similar. Like, you know, finding the gun in the river and Louise dying and then not knowing it. One thing I thought was like actually a marketable like improvement from the in the movie from the book is I don't know if you notice this too, Paul, but we got the accusation ending we wanted. Right. And it was awesome. Yeah. I thought the ending to this movie was far superior than in the book. Super intense, right? Poro basically locks everybody in a room and is like He did it in such a cool way. He like shot a shot the shot Pennington's gun to the air, anchors drop, doors close. He's like, one of you is the murderer. And as soon as he did that, I was like, let's go. This is what this book needed. Right. I wonder how many. And Johnny, have you read? Have you read Orient Express? Sorry if I I asked that before. Yeah. 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 It, is there a reveal to the killer in that book? Or is it similar to Death on the Nile where... The reader learns about it, and then kind of we skip over the confrontation with the actual murderer. Well, can I spoil it for you? No, no spoilers. Okay. Well, so you get you get that accusation that you want. You get that accusation reveal, and it's awesome. Okay. Did you? How did you feel about the way that they ended it in the movie versus the book? Do you have? A- I'm right. I'm right there with Cody. I loved. I loved the dramatic uh, ending of like. Let, let's lock everyone in a room. One of you, or in this case, two of you are the killers and we're just going to reveal. It would have been cooler if like everybody didn't already know everybody watching at least because somehow the, the people like the other characters were stunned. But I did think that it was awesome that that reveal. 
the the very ending after that though where they're kind of like walking off the ship and just uh, like yeah. doing nothing it's like okay we probably should have ended with the cool part and not the irrelevant yeah. part but that ending with the dramatic accusation reveal was awesome at least we didn't end with Jackie doing the murder suicide, which she does do in the movie, but not in a way where everyone's like, "Hey, Poro, did you know about that?" And he's like, "Sure did." Yeah, and I I think that the the way that I mean, we talked about this when we when we were doing Little Women and the way that the different movies ended. I care a lot about the way that movies cut to credits. Like the last frame of a movie means something to me because it's it's a the exclamation mark or the punctuation on this story that you've been telling the entire time. And so in this one, I just felt that it was really interesting that they chose to have Poirot sitting in what looked like some jazz club, listening to Mrs. Otterborn sing. And you see that he has since shaved his mustache off, revealing a very small scar compared to what (laughs) it looks like he would have had if he actually had his face blown off the way it looked Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie. So it's that kind of thing that makes me think like this movie's really trying along with all of the mystery and getting that solved. This movie is really trying to get at the core of like who Poro is and what he really needs to do and like making it, as much about him as it is about solving a mystery. I didn't think that that was really as much a focus of the book as it was the movie. Johnny thoughts on all of that. Most importantly, maybe thoughts on a mustache covering that scar. Yeah. I think that the, the scar cover up was like very unbelievable Uh, because it's like dude blew up his whole face and like a mustache covers it. (laughs) Physically unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then shave it off. And it's like, Oh, did you bite your lip? Like that's the scar we're going with here. Um, so scar cover up, boom, bad. Um, <laughs> and it, if you ask me, I would have cut out World War One scene, and I would have cut out the ending sitting in the jazz bar, and just been like, boom, this dude's a genius. End with the big reveal, and then the suicide, and like bleeding into the credits. That's how I would have done it because, like I said earlier, and I think Cody, you're with me here. Like that was the coolest part of the book or movie was that grand reveal. Why? Like we don't need more than that. I like, I agree. I think it would have been a much more like appropriate movie ending. But the thing is, Brana had a different movie ending where he just did this very on the nose. Like the mustache is like his genius covering up his trauma. Like the signature Poirot feature is like the enormous mustache and the French accent and stuff. And it's actually just because he's hiding the fact that he failed and the book or in the movie, you know, book dies. And so his mom is like, you failed Poirot. Like you can't stop these murders. And I was like, you know what? True. He's fucking up right now. He needs to make it stop right now. And that's when he does like, you know, the big dramatic, like you're all locked in this room and no one's leaving until I get a confession. But it's like, it was just very, very on the nose. And in a way that is like pretty invented, you know, it's it's not like that's like subtext from the book that was made more visual and like things like that. It's it's really never implied unless I just didn't read between the lines at all. I mean, there's really no accusations of failure. People are more like, hey, are you sure? Or like, are your methods sound? And he's like, don't even worry about it. Like, I'm literally not ever once introspective. <laughs> I'm just the smartest guy to ever exist. 
and all of you need to just like figure it out. Yeah. Like, I, people so, are drowning in the wake of his intelligence. I, and he's like, you should have known. I think a lot, a large part of this is that they are trying to do with this series of mysteries, with the Poro series, they're trying to do with this what is currently being done with Marvel, what DC tried and failed at with their, you know, universe. They're trying to make this a franchise. And I was reading they're in production on the third movie now, A Haunting in Venice. So what I think a lot of this is, is they're trying to make the world stand out a little bit more and trying to make Poro a character that requires more buy-in than just being like, wow, this dude's really fucking good at solving mysteries, but gets a lot of people killed while he's doing it. But speaking of that world building, so originally this movie, like the whole production of this movie sounded like a total shit show. It was originally supposed to come out, I believe in 2019, but it kept getting pushed back for originally just like production issues and then COVID hit. So they had to push it back even further. Originally, they were planning on shooting some of this movie in Morocco, ended up only shooting in England, which I think is incredibly obvious. Not necessarily that it's just England, but goddamn, some of the CGI in this movie is awful, like terrible. Like PlayStation 3 cutscene graphics. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite was... It's like, hey, guys, we're on the Nile. And just so you're sure, we're going to have like this super unnecessary cut scene of an alligator just chomping on a bird. What? Ridiculous. Everything with the pyramids looked awful. The part with him flying the kite in the mid- in the beginning on the pyramids, it's like that. That's clearly just like a playground in London. And we just threw some threw some CGI <laughs> on top of it. Just covered it all in like a green sheet. Some guy is just like standing on top of monkey bars flying a kite. Okay, so all of this, Johnny, I want to get back to your original question. So we answered whether or not we thought Poro was a good detective. Do we think he is a good guy? A good person? I think no. I think he should be arrested. He is he is <laughs> culpable for multiple murders slash suicide and knew what was going to happen and did nothing to stop it. So morality did get an F. I think book I think book Poirot definitely belongs in jail. However, movie is way more like I don't have the answers yet. So there's less culpability. Yeah, I think the tough thing is that in the movie we're not reading the internal monologue of pretty sure I know what's going on here. Internal monologue. Race is like, dude, throw me a bone. Yeah. (laughs) What's going on? And he's like, don't worry about it. I got it all figured out. That's like the ending of five chapters in this book. Yeah. So Cody, I think I'm, I'm kind of with, with you on this one. I, I think that the book Poro here's, here's the weird thing. So I think book Poro appears to be more culpable for some of these additional murders and suicides than in the movie. I think they make it more obvious that that's true in the books. The weird thing about it though, is like, I find Poirot to be like a little bit unlikable in the movie. 
where I didn't feel that way in the book. Like I was on Poro's side the whole time in the books, in the book, but in the movie, I was like, okay, this guy's arrogant. He's full of himself. He speaks in the third person all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, you know, a little bit fuck this guy. So that's kind of where I fell on it, where I don't know if it's like a bad person, but I'm just just a little bit more unlikable in the movie than in the book. Here, Here's something I just thought of, and maybe we're just applying like how the way like detective work has probably changed in the 90 years since the story took place where like, er, like being a detective back then is just way harder. So he's just given like a way longer leash, you know, fingerprints exist, but in a way that you'd have to like film them and like mail them to some guy in a lab. And if he fucks up the sample, it's like gone forever. <laughs> yeah. And like no one even in the world even knows that Lynette's dead. Cause they're on a boat. Right. Can't, like call anyone. There's no like messages that you can get. There's not even like telegram. And so they're just like, we just got what we got. And you know what? If a couple more people die along the way, Hey, that's just narrowing down the suspect pool. If anything, he's just being really efficient. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Fewer people that leave the boat, the more likely I'm right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Every person dies. My chances of guessing correctly, just go up and up and up. Until it's just him left and he's like, oh shit, did I do this? (laughs) All right. Last question that I have for you, Johnny. We asked this when we were reading uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Does this book and does this movie stand the test of time? And for me, test of time, considering we're reading, you know, a lot of like 19th century, some early 19th century books is like thinking like 200 year time horizons right so this book came out you know mid 20th century so let's just say another 100 years are people still going to be reading this book and are people still going to be watching this movie the movie i sure hope not because that (laughs) says our future movies are terrible Mm -hmm. um but the book i think we have to go back to Agatha Christie being a goat and recognize like she is the highest selling fiction writer of all time. Like I, I think the only person that has outsold her are Shakespeare and the Bible. So death on the Nile. I'm not sure. I don't think it's her best, but I think her Poirot mysteries will definitely still be read a hundred or 200 years from now. To be honest with you, the, the reason I read this one is because a movie was coming out. So I think this book, maybe, maybe not, but her books in this universe, definitely. Yeah, that, that would have been my that would have been my answer almost to a T, as I was just like, if a singular like if just some Joe Schmo, let's say, wrote Death on the Nile, they weren't Agatha Christie, this was their one book. Would we look at it the same way? Me thinks maybe not. It's just that Death on the Nile being part of the Hercule Poirot universe and having like 60 something of these mystery novels or just novels in general. Like it's Agatha Christie that's going to stand the test of time. Cody, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I like I like your opinion, John, that like you read this one because it was a movie coming out. And I think a lot of people would agree. She's she got so many of these books, dude. Like 
And I'm sure they, there is a gradient of which ones have sold more and are more technically popular. Like I think um, Murder on the Orient Express is her like most beloved one and like the highest selling one. So I think I think you're pretty spot on in terms of like will people be rewatching this movie? Like no, probably not. Yeah. It was just, it was it was it was good. I thought it was fun. If and if and if you want to watch a murder mystery and you don't know the ending and like you know because the thing about murder mysteries like if, if it's a good murder mystery story or movie you'll reread it or rewatch it even if you know the ending like Knives Out for example that movie kicks ass as soon as you watch it once every like any murder mystery everything becomes so obvious but if it's good. And if the story is good and if the characters are fun, you'll come back to it. And with this one, like I can see myself returning more to the book than I would the movie. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I guess just overall, this movie just feels like it is a, a shallower interpretation of a book that, you know, is stripped down with added elements of just like horniness, lust, love, past trauma and trying to get over it. And overall, I actually like I had a good time watching this movie. It's not the type of movie that I would like rush back to watch again. But that's I mean, that's just kind of where I landed on it. And I also think it's just really hard to like say watching a a mystery that you already know what happens. I think it's really hard to judge that just at face value. So I I feel like I just spent the last, you know, hour or whatever just ripping this movie. I had a good time watching it. But definitely, definitely not as good as the book. I think the additions were unnecessary and they cut too much um, that made the book what it is. That's my final thought on this. Yeah, I would just come back and say I also really liked the book and the movie. Had fun with both of them. I think the movie, I think watching the movie, uh, the, the context of me having recently watched the new Knives Out Definitely did not do any favors to to this movie, but I had fun. Yeah, I thought both were fun in their own ways. You know, the movie is, like you said, Paul, it's more like melodramatic. They're really trying to, like, say something with it as opposed to the book, which, like, you know, Agatha Christie is like, hey, it's just a stone cold mystery. We're not super concerned about the emotional toll of whatever Poirot is dealing with. Let's just solve this thing, which is, you know it's just more conducive to the actual style of like books and then the movie like they really wanted to kind of like show you what was going on and i think it would have been very confusing even still if they had like 20 people on that boat you know they're kind of in a rock and a hard place like when we like imagine if like a similar pace of the opening chapter was just like the opening of the movie where like you met lynette and you met jackie and you met um Simon and you met Joanna like, and Andrew Joanna, and, and, you met everyone, and, and you yeah, met everyone and everyone and everyone you would be like what the hell is going on yeah. even if they get a movie and you're able to see faces and they're all different people it would have still been very 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 challenging so yeah this is this is me Monday morning quarterbacking a movie where I'm just like you know what you did something wrong I don't know how you would fix it but you should do that like exactly yeah find out what went wrong and then I, I would have always done that yeah. <laughs> All right. Cody and I will be taking a short break um, and coming back in a couple weeks uh, with our next book. So stay tuned for that. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it has been an absolute blast. And hopefully we get you on again soon for another book. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, boys. Thanks, dude. 
Of course. All right, everybody. We will see you next time.